the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. While the crypto community has become obsessed with the daily price fluctuations of Bitcoin and the myriad altcoins out there, the real killer use for blockchain is stablecoins. Two of the top six cryptos by market cap are US dollar-backed stablecoins, one being Tether, that's the largest, and the second largest being USDC. Between them, they have a market cap of about $110 billion. Stablecoins are a type of cryptocurrency whose value is pegged to another currency, most often the US dollar. They maintain this peg by holding reserves of dollars or other cryptos or a mix of both which are kept in U.S.-controlled bank accounts. There are also a few Randback stablecoins, such as ZARP, Z-A-R-P. What's the use of that, you may ask, when you already have RANDs in your bank account and maybe want to swap those for U.S. dollars? Well, actually, it's surprisingly easy to do once you have a RAND stablecoin. But not all stablecoins are made the same. You need to look behind the curtain to see what's actually backing the stablecoin. And there's been huge discussion in the crypto community about the collateral behind Tether, for example. ZARP is a Randback stablecoin launched more than a year ago, and it recently won the blessing of Old Mutual Wealth, which has just announced its plans to inject substantial liquidity into the ZARP network and promote its use in decentralized finance protocols. To find out more, we're joined by ZARP stablecoin founder Simon Dingle of Invest Capital and co-author of the book Beyond Bitcoin. Hi, Simon. You've been on the MoneyWeb Crypto podcast before. It's good to have you back again, and thanks for joining us. As a kickoff, maybe just explain to our listeners what is a stablecoin and why someone would want a Randback stablecoin like ZARP. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me back. Uh, so a stablecoin, as you put it very succinctly in the intro, is a crypto token or a, a cryptocurrency token that's pegged to the price of a fiat currency or a real world currency. I don't like the term real world because it's, everything's in the real world, but <laughs> that seems to be the consensus on the nomenclature. So we'll stick with it. Um, and as you said, uh, most of them or the most reliable ones do this by actually having a treasury reserve of the actual currency that that backs the stablecoin and that's value it represents. And of course, therein lies the rub because it's all about who manages that treasury and, and how trustworthy it is. Uh, but to answer your question about why you'd want such a thing, well, for the same reason you'd want cryptocurrency or any other technology innovation that moves things forward, it's faster, it's cheaper, it's more efficient, it's 24-7. And I think what's interesting in the world of cryptocurrency is it's also programmable. You know, money is not programmable. It relies on a lot of very manual and batch processes for settlement, the way markets have evolved over the centuries. And now for the first time, we've got money that is is that is of and for the internet um, and exists in protocols for value transfer in a way that wasn't possible online before. And so that opens up a whole new world of opportunities where you can program the way money works for your business uh, or for yourself. I've heard that uh, you can take a RAND stablecoin and you can actually spend it in China. You can import goods from a Chinese factories. There are companies in China that would accept it. Is this your understanding? Yes, I'm sure that's true. Of course, it does raise some uh, questions about foreign exchange control, which is one of the idiosyncrasies of the South African markets. And we could have a 
very long philosophical discussion about how desirable that apartheid era policy still is today, but I'll, I'll spare you that. It certainly is. It certainly is possible. You know, the the blockchain is is of the internet. Uh, these are internet protocols. They don't understand borders. They're just available for anyone, anywhere to do whatever they want with. Um, so obviously, we need to make sure that we've got suitable regulations and that people are behaving the way they should. But reassuringly, uh, if you look at the forensic insights and analytics that have come out of the world of cryptocurrency, you know, it's mostly legitimate use. In fact, it's 99% legitimate use because these things are transparent and very, very easy to track. So counterintuitively, um, you, you pretty much have to use these for legitimate use cases because you're almost sure to get caught out if you don't. Now, you just did a deal with Old Mutual where they are going to back you. They're going to pump some liquidity into the ZARP stablecoin. That is a coup. How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, there are two components to the deal, Kieran. Uh, the more important one from my perspective is that Old Mutual Wealth is also managing the treasury of RANDs that backs the ZARP stablecoin. That's very important because it gives it a, a legitimacy, of course, um, and we had to build up that relationship and show that we are trustworthy. We work with independent auditors to make sure that our treasury is uh, you know, independently scrutinized and that when we claim to have RANDs in a, a bank account somewhere, for example, that they are actually there. Um, we've seen similar arrangements internationally. So the USD coin, USDC that you mentioned in your intro, uh, the treasury management for that is handled by BlackRock, which is, of course, one of the biggest asset management firms in the USA. Uh, in our case, we've elected to go with Old Mutual Wealth as the biggest asset manager uh, in South Africa. Also, one of the oldest brands in finance, you know, very trustworthy, but also very forward thinking. Uh, and we've been deliberating with Old Mutual Wealth for years now about, you know, how these new markets emerge, but also keeping lockstep with what's possible from a regulatory perspective in South Africa. Uh, and this is a manifestation of that. All right. You previously said that stable coins are the killer use for cryptos. Maybe explain why it is the killer use. Well, I think there's several components to that, but it's more just an observation of how the markets are responding to this new technology. You know, for the most part, if you look at the Western world and, and especially North America, most people are only using cryptocurrency for speculation. They're either hoping to get rich quick or in the long term, they're holding assets like Bitcoin, which has some very interesting characteristics that makes it akin to a digital gold, but also more portable and it does a lot of things that gold can't do. Uh, but if you look at the rest of the world, crypto is filling some very real needs in payments, uh, in people sending money back home when they're forced to work in another country. And predominantly, all of those use cases are making use of stable coins. Uh, so if you look at, at network activity, by far and away, the biggest use case for crypto right now is people holding and spending USDT Tether, which is the biggest US dollar stablecoin in the world. And if you travel in the developing world, especially in South America, in Africa, and you speak to, to you know, merchants and, and people that are using crypto, uh, they'll tell you they use USDT. A lot of them don't even know they're using crypto. They just see it as a, a very quick and easy way to transfer val a dollar value. Right. I mean, you hear stories about people in Venezuela and Lebanon and Zimbabwe. Funnily enough, Bitcoin adoption in Zimbabwe hasn't been that great. But what has been fairly good is stablecoin uptake. Uh, there's a huge demand for U.S. dollars. And of course, what with a U.S. dollar backed stablecoin, you've got a facsimile of a U.S. dollar, which is interchangeable with the real thing. 
Um, so there does seem to be a dawning realization in people in Africa and in other countries which have got high inflation and currency debasement that stable coins offer some kind of protection against the, the abuses they suffer at the hands of the authorities and the central banks who are just printing too much money. Absolutely correct. Zimbabwe is an interesting case because, of course, uh, the U.S. dollar is pretty much its national currency de facto uh, at the moment. But holding dollars in Zimbabwe can be complicated. You know, for the most part, people were reliant on cash, actual cash under pillows, and <laughs> you name it, in the past. Whereas, you know, with dollar stable coins, you don't have all of the risks of physical cash. Uh, but you still have, you know, you still have access to dollar value. I think there's an important point to make there because the, the stable coin is not a currency itself. It's a token that represents the currency. It's an asset. And so that opens up a lot of interesting use cases. If we move further to home in South Africa, for example, a lot of South Africans would like to have exposure to dollar value uh, for various reasons, volatility of the local currency, etc., but in the past, because of foreign exchange control, that required you staying within the parameters of your single discretionary allowance. It wasn't straightforward for most normal South Africans to do. Whereas with stablecoin, for example, you could get hold of ZARP, which is our stablecoin. Uh, you could swap it for USDT or USDC on Uniswap, which is a decentralized exchange. It would happen in a few seconds and you would have that dollar value as an asset sitting you know, in your wallet as a South African. So no, you know, no, no currency has crossed borders. You haven't converted currency. You've just bought a, an asset as a South African. The right to capital is in South Africa, and you now have exposure to uh, dollar value. So that's just, you know, one of the many use cases or thought experiments that these technologies open up. And as I said before, there's remittances. You know, some of the biggest remittance corridors in the world are in emerging markets, especially in Africa, where you have economic migrants that are working in one country and, and want to send money back home to another. These people were exploited in the past, charged exorbitant fees. It was very difficult for them to do that. Whereas with stable coins, they can send money back home in a flash. Uh, if they're doing it on a network like Solana, for example, it'll cost a fraction of a cent for them to send that transaction and their family members back home will get the full amount within seconds. So, you know, we could carry on all day about how people are using these technologies already. But uh, in emerging markets where we have real needs, uh, you know, this innovation is meeting them. Yeah. And of course, I mean, there are exchanges in South Africa. Um, oh, by the way, is ZARP available on any of the crypto exchanges in South Africa? Yes, it's available on OVEX, Chainix, and we're in discussions with everyone else. So watch this space. Okay, so I guess it's a little trick that South Africans probably should learn that if they want to acquire U.S. dollars, um, they can go onto these exchanges and you can buy USDC or Tether and you can hold it in yeah, your well, wallet. Well, that's important to note you're not buying dollars. You're buying a token that represents the, the value of a dollar. I know it sounds like a, a silly distinction to make, but if you're buying actual dollar currency as a South African, um, you know, there, there are a lot of things to think about. Whereas if you're just buying an asset that has dollar value, that's, that's very different and a lot easier. Yeah, the, the practicalities, you can actually do it. But there's a regulatory aspect here, which I think is quite interesting. So what are the regulations that govern, govern the ownership of a US dollar-backed stable coin? Because you're essentially, you're bypassing your special discretionary allowance, which is 1 million rand per person per year, right? Well, your, your single discretionary allowance applies to um, foreign exchange transactions. Um, you know, in the opinion of all of the legal professionals I've consulted to this end, 
that the buying a US dollar stable coin doesn't fit with that description because you're not buying a foreign currency that's issued by a foreign government. You're not sending any value outside of the country. Of course, if you send it to somebody in another country, you are. But if you're just holding it as a South African, uh, the rands you spent on it are in South Africa. You're in South Africa. The asset is in South Africa because your your keys, your wallet are owned as a South African. Uh, so, you know, we, we still don't have a clear position on this, or I certainly haven't seen one. Um, but, you know, as I said, I've, I've canvassed legal professionals, and that seems to be the consensus is that this is very different. It's not the same as buying a foreign currency, even though it's denominated in a foreign currency. I suppose it would be like, you know, um, buying gold, and instead of thinking of the gold in rand terms, you're thinking of it in dollar terms. It's worth X amount of dollars. It just so happens that U.S. dollar stablecoins uh, are always worth one dollar for each token that you hold. Yeah. So, what about the controversy I mentioned in the intro about whether some stablecoins are actually fully backed by real-world assets? Um, there's been a lot of discussion about Tether, and they do produce audited results. I think all of the stablecoins are doing the same. They're getting audited. They're trying to assure their customers that they are fully backed as they say they are. Is is this concern warranted? I think it was certainly warranted in the beginning, uh, in the case of Tether specifically. Uh, it's certainly warranted in the case of many other stablecoin projects out there that are proclaiming to be backed. But when you ask them to prove that, you get sketchy answers. Um, Tether is an interesting one because it is the biggest stablecoin in the world. It was also the first dollar stablecoin of any prominence. And really, it's been a driving force behind the crypto markets. So if Tether did lose its value, lose its peg, because it turned out that it wasn't really backed by anything, that would be a fairly large catastrophe. Although, <laughs> given the wake of FTX and everything else that's happened to the industry, I think we'd be just fine in the long term. But it wouldn't be good news. However, the Tether team have really risen to the occasion. This is actually, and I think a lot of people don't realize it, probably the most compliant uh, cryptocurrency project in the world when it comes to reacting to, um, you know, uh, regulatory requests. So if Tether is sent alerts of any uh, suspicious transactions on its network, it will freeze those funds. Uh, it works very closely with law enforcement internationally to make sure that it proactively does that sort of transaction monitoring and freezing and um, and it's, it's super compliant. Also, it's gone to lengths to show that it does actually have, you know, a sufficient treasury to more than back its uh, its its token supply. So I think Tether is one, one of the most trusted projects in crypto at the moment. But it wasn't that way in the early days. Things were fairly opaque. It wasn't easy for people to understand what Tether was doing. And I think the team could have probably done more to uh, you know, produce attestation reports of their treasury reserves and just be more transparent about how they were running it. Uh, but that was then and this is now when it's a very different project. Now, let's talk about ZARP again. Where do you see the big use cases coming from there? Do you see it in the payment space? Um, there's a lot of competition out there. The banks are already doing that. You've got uh, open banking projects like Ozo where you can send money fairly cheaply from one wallet to another. So where do you see ZARP fitting into this universe? Really, just all of the above and, and, and more, Karen. Anything that you use money for, you can do better, faster, cheaper with cryptocurrency and with stablecoins like ZARP. So, you know, we really can, can imagine everything from settlement in capital markets to payments in retail. I think that's a bit further out, but we'll get there eventually uh, to foreign exchange trading. But also our view of the future is that uh, all assets become tokenized in time. 
that's what technology does when it's better, faster and cheaper. It consumes everything else that was doing the same job before. Just like, you know, our phones, when they came along, didn't invent something that didn't exist before. We had phones, we had cameras, we had music players in our pockets, etc. just made it better, faster, cheaper, more efficient to do all of those things. And so started consuming all of those use cases. I see crypto doing the same thing in the world of finance, um, and we're in it for the long game. You know, it, it really is early days, especially for emerging market stable coins like SARP. But if you think about use cases in the future, literally anything you're doing with money now, whether it's, you know, buying stocks or investing or uh, paying or running a stock fail, you can do all of those things with stable coins. And I guess a- another potential application is smart contracts. That, that would be a contract where, which is executed by computer code. There's no lawyer involved, although smart contracts are often wrapped in a traditional legal agreement. So, for example, if you're importing goods from, you know, through Durban and you can uh, automate the clearance process and as soon as you have evidence of, that the clearance has happened, you would have an automatic transfer of ZOP to the, uh, yes. to the seller, right? Yeah, and that goes back to my point about programmable money because really, you know, uh, all of the, the the very manual and laborious things that, that uh, people who work with money have to do on a daily basis can now be automated. For example, if you work in capital allocation for a big firm, uh, you'll spend nine to five thinking about where money should be and moving it around and buying and selling things. You can now automate those processes. You can set rules and parameters around them. You know, if I have a store of this much rand value that hits X, swap it out into this much whatever value that equals Y. And you can have that strategy running 24-7 even while you're sleeping. Smart contracts can be doing that job for you. Um, So you can really automate a lot of uh, processes that take days, weeks, months today and have them happen in, you know, seconds or hours. Uh, And that's quite exciting. Right. So you just mentioned that ZARP is likely to appeal initially to people maybe in the business space or in the asset allocation space, fund managers, that kind of thing. Retail seems to be a little bit further down the line. But where do you see the the, the future expansion happening? Where's going to be the big market for you? Uh, again, I, th- I think it's it's all of the above. You know, if you, if you look at raw volumes, that's in, in settlements and, and capital markets at large. But uh, you know, I'm very excited about financial inclusion and, and the thing, the role that stablecoin will play there. And that's really about creating circular economies where you end up being able to use a stablecoin uh, to buy something at a store and pay in it. Now, that happens informally a lot, uh, even in South Africa. And again, USDT is the stablecoin used most predominantly for that. Um, but there's there's some way to go. One of the challenges we have with a lot of the older um, L1, as we refer to them, crypto networks, is that transaction fees are quite high. And unlike in traditional finance where it's the merchant that expected to pay those transaction fees, for example, when you use a credit card in a store, there's a transaction fee, but you don't pay it. The store owner pays it. Um, that's The opposite is true in crypto. And if those transaction fees are high and the consumer is feeling them, they're going to be reluctant to use that as a as a, as a payment mechanism. Um, but there are networks that are changing that. For example, if you transact on Solana with a stable coin, you can be sending millions of rands and your transaction fees will be less than a cent. It'll be a fraction of a cent. And so when those efficiencies are brought to bear, I think you really see the market starting to think about this in terms of payments. Um, and as I said, we're seeing it informally using networks like Tron, for example, which currently sees more stable coins payments in retail than than any other network and that's purely down to transaction fees you know (laughs) tron's a a 
it's hard to take it seriously, to be quite frank, uh, if you unpack, uh, you know, where it came from, etc. But in the real world, people don't care about the technology. They don't care about the founders. They care about whether or not something works reliably for them, how much it costs, and whether or not it really does make their lives better. And so as we see these networks emerge that bring those transaction fees down, I think we'll start to see these circular economies emerge. And you can imagine people using uh, stable coins and, and other crypto in a way that doesn't require them to ever have to sell them or get rid of them or cash out into real world currency um, until it comes time to, to do something that requires that. Uh, and so that's really exciting. And I think that's when we see this ecosystem explode. And I think also for merchants, you have the benefit of uh, pretty much instantaneous clearing. If I'm not mistaken, the last time I looked, the Solana network was able to clear something like a million transactions per second, whereas Visa is doing about 24,000. It's orders of magnitude bigger once you get onto these very efficient blockchain systems like Solana. Yes, and it's also much easier um, and there's a lot less friction. You know, if you're running an informal shop somewhere in South Africa, um, getting a bank account can be difficult. Getting up and running with something like credit card payments can be impossible. And there haven't been great payment systems until now. And so a lot of small and informal merchants in Africa have relied uh, on things like cash, for example. Uh, whereas with cryptocurrency, you can download an app on your phone. You can be up and running in literally seconds. The blockchain doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't charge you a monthly account fee. Um, and you can start accepting payments using stable coins that aren't volatile. So it's not something like Bitcoin, Ethereum, where the price is one thing today and another thing tomorrow. Um, and uh, there's also less risk because you're not exposed to carrying cash with you. Uh, so that, that level of access and inclusion is also quite exciting and uh, I think will be a big component of why this technology succeeds. Yeah, and of course, the other point is it's instant clearing, whereas if you're transacting with a, with a debit or a credit card, you can often, that, that clearance uh, only happens, with a, sorry, the settlement only happens three, four, five days later. Yes, I mean, look, let's be honest, for retail consumers, they don't really mind because when I go and swipe my card, I can leave the shop with whatever I bought immediately. Um, I don't know or care that in the background it might take you know, a week or two for that money to actually clear. But it is interesting to note that you're exactly right. In, in these crypto networks, settlement is instantaneous when the transaction clears. Now, we say instantaneous on some of the older, slower networks that can be minutes or even hours. Um, but on some of the next generation chains, we've mentioned Solana, a lot of the L2s for Ethereum as well, like Polygon and Arbitrum, these transactions clear in seconds, sometimes even microseconds in the case of Solana. Um, and that means that everything is said and done. There's no background settlement. There aren't any middlemen or third parties um, that, that are scraping off transaction fees in between. When the money hits your account, it's yours. All right, final question. Let's just talk about the uh, the future. This is crystal ball time. Uh, where do you see stable coins featuring in the financial world? Let's say five years from now. I think by by five years from now, we will have seen a lot of FX trading globally moving on chain. We're starting to see this trend already. You know, FX traders have relied on centralized exchanges and order books, um, whereas now they've got stable coins on decentralized exchanges that are more accessible, quicker, faster, cheaper. And so I think Forex trading is one of the, the first big sort of industries that, that'll, be, that'll be moving into the space. I also think it's going to be interesting seeing equities and other securities moving on-chain in the future. There are regulatory models in many countries now that would enable that. So 
you know, your, your stocks and shares that you might be interested in investing in, uh, you'd be able to buy those in decentralized protocols as well and hold them in your Ethereum wallets or whatever else you're using. So I think by five years from now, it, it might not be a, a big portion of the market, but some portion of the market will be trading uh, real world securities and other assets on chain. Um, I think remittances are going to become uh, a very big use case. They, they're starting to emerge as one already. In fact, I can imagine a, a very big portion of global remittances happening on chain in five years time. And hopefully we'll start to see the beginnings of more and more payment processes and retailers understanding that this is just a better way to accept money from their consumers with lower fees. Um, and I, I expect we'll start to see the beginnings of that over the next five years. Okay, we're going to leave it there. That was Simon Dingle, who is the founder of the Zarp Randback Stablecoin. Thanks very much, Simon, for coming on. Thanks, Karen. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.